0: a board game podcast with matthew robinson's gaming group my name is mark evan jackson i play sean just kidding some listeners have uh, commented that i sound like this amazing actor mark evan jackson he's on the good place he's on brooklyn Nine. i don't hear it myself uh i'm actually tom donnelly maddie is not here maddie has moved into vault tech's new vault 13 this is round six turn six and i've got the game designer with me trey on skype and ready to talk about the 2020 release oceans and to talk about tactics versus strategy and how that affects the changes in the games we like over time how you doing Trey doing
1: good I don't get the Mark Evan Jackson thing I'm glad that there's been a lot of attention but I don't hear it maybe it's because I know what you actually look like You've and
0: also known- like I'm,
1: I'm often surprised with like people you hear on the radio and then you actually see the photo of them and, it, and like the voice doesn't match sure the yeah. image.
0: Well, especially since in most cases, when you see the person in in real life, they are slightly less attractive than you imagined. And with me, it's the opposite. That's very uh, jarring, I'm sure, for you. Anyway, I'm
1: ready for the show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How are you faring, Trey? Are you are are you healthy? Are you okay? Are you cooped up? What are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm healthy. I'm playing a lot of um, online games. the The thing that uh, if, if, is affecting my life selfishly the most is just like LA has gotten really strict about shutting down, uh, hiking trails and the beach. Uh, and the the hiking trails were like, that's my daily routine is going up and, uh, running and hiking in the Hills here in LA. And so shutting those down is, is affecting me in that just like I need that daily exercise. That's where I do a lot of my best thinking. So like making, I'm, I'm not adapting to that. Yeah. especially well i'm I'm missing it like trying to run in the neighborhood is not the same and i'm it's it's blowing up my routine and so uh but with all the other things going on in the world that seems like a very small problem
0: well no it's, it's still significant though i mean when you were on the hiking trails last were they more crowded were you running into a situation where the six foot distance was be- becoming a problem
1: yes okay. yeah no it was completely insane last weekend um the, the trails were jammed uh It was, you know, tons of people like I mean, this is almost like a secret trail, like where where, when I go out this out there, I see the same three or four people walking their dogs every day. And now it's it it was it became hundreds. Um, And it was like it was also, you know, families that are dealing with kids that are cooped up and are not used to being on the trail. So, like, they're not getting off the trail or you know, like these are narrow, uh almost what you'd call single track or whatever if you're from, yeah. if they're bike trails. And so you'd really do need to get off the trail and let people pass. And if you're new to the trail, you're just not that aware out there. And like, yeah, it was it was creating problems. And so I think LA is completely justified in in doing it, um, because it isn't um especially on like Fryman Canyon proper and Runyon Canyon. Right. It was just it was like spring break but and the, in fact but I, saw a group, enormous, I saw groups i saw groups right? of 20 somethings out there like walking around with backpacks and playing music it's a party there's definitely feels like there's generational differences in terms of how people were responding to this yeah weird. well
0: you tell them hey listen you guys are going to kill the olds if you keep doing that and they're like yeah and <laughs> <laughs> i will say this i uh, so my perspective on this um don't, haven't gone out to the hiking trails but I told you that, that my wife and I go into our really really cold pool like our 50 something degree pool that is, that <clears> is not <throat> heated and that's one of our rituals they close the darn pool mm-hmm. in my complex nobody's in there <laughs> right. why are you closing the pool the only two people and when people would see us in the pool they would look at us like we were morons because probably we are but Why, why are you, I understand you want to stop people from congregating. Nobody was congregating there, right? (laughs) You you stopped us from doing uh, the most socially isolating thing we could have done on a given day. Uh, and my other observation is I have never seen happier dogs any time in my life. These dogs, they are getting walked. They're getting walked often. Everywhere I look, the dogs are just, it's like, this is amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's the best. Your, your guinea pig is getting
1: a lot of personal attention. Yeah, the um, guinea pig is. You know, I think what you're talking about, especially with, like, your pool, is, like, you find yourself in the situation – today where like you know you could safely be in that pool you are going to observe proper social distancing yes and stuff i don't think that the pool itself actually has any danger of anyway it's like i know how to be on the trail and i know i will keep safe distance from people right but that said i i I was kind of, until they actually said, you know, no, do not go on the trails. We're going to start finding people. I was going to still try to get out there and do it because I knew how to keep social distance. But then I also started feeling guilty where like, I'm, what kind of example am I setting? Because I see other people are out there and they're not doing best practices. So like, I have to not do it just because like, if everyone did what I did, it would be a problem. Yes. And then I can think of some other people that you know like i have a friend who is dealing with cancer right now and mm-hmm. she gets up there and she walks her dogs every day for a couple of hours and like this is part of what is helping her get through her cancer treatments and this is denied right, yeah. to her now um oh boy but it's also like she can't like having people on the trail is dangerous to her so it's uh sure. it's a real it's, the, anyway it's a toughie. is um, the beach
0: the same thing right now is the is the beach under that that same restriction
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, LA County put out something specifically yeah. um uh just just a couple of days ago because people were defying the yeah. bans. And I've noticed that like rangers are at the entrances to parks at times, uh, shooing people off because people were just ignoring it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the awful thing. The awful thing is we have such huge, long, wide beaches. It's like a five-minute hike to get from the beginning of the sand to the water. <laughs> right. You could have the entire population of Los Angeles having a wonderful hike in the sun without ever coming within six feet of each other, but we can't do that because a bunch of right. jerks are out there with, you know, setting up, setting up tents and having parties and and right. being right next we, to each other. We
1: could, but the pictures, and I took some of them last yeah. Sunday, uh, you know, just, just a week ago, I, you know, I took plenty of pictures. And the thing is, is like, you see these groups and there's plenty of times where you see like, okay, here's a couple living together here are two people, like maybe they're brothers. And then you're, you're seeing like, okay, this is clearly a group of friends who are getting together to go hike. Yes. Not social distancing. And it's yes. not even them having to do with other people they're going to encounter on the trail. It's like them coming together is is immediately, you know, dangerous. And you just realize, OK, not everybody's applying the same standards that, you know, that I am. And that's a, and that's a problem. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Ugh. Well, let's get to happier subjects. Let's yes. talk. Yes, let's do. Let's talk about this week's game night. have game night so much anymore we have game opportunities that pop up right
1: yeah no right we there's trying to schedule has been hard everybody's doing nothing but not at the same time all
0: right i'm gonna say that i am shocked how much busier i have been for the last month like i like while when a lot of people everything is sort of shutting down and shuttering and, and closing up my uh, professional business has been on an uptick, and I finally figured right. out uh, well, I, I, it's, thank goodness it, mm-hmm. it's been a bad year. Um, but it is one of these things where I realized what oh, you know, my uh, manager, Manny, and I both uh, share Ollie Obst, who is, mm-hmm. our, is our manager, and he said what it was. And I was like, oh my God, of course that's what it is. These executives, during a normal period of time, if we want to talk to them about something if we want them to read something hey guess what in maybe in 4 to 6 weeks we'll be able to get to it now they're locked up in their in their homes nobody is going into the studios nobody's going into the offices productions have shut down so the the projects that they have to be juggling that are supposed to be shooting right now all of those are on hold and they're realizing they have to justify their job. So suddenly, these people want to read anything. They're like, give me something. Give me something. What, what can we talk about? Like the only people that can be hired are people that can work alone. So it's actually a great time to hire writers a little bit. So um, I'm finding me personally, I'm having a really hard time scheduling games because I think, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. Let's Let's play a game tomorrow afternoon. And then tomorrow morning rolls on, and before you know it, I have six calls lined up, and mm-hmm. I, I just have to, you know, you know, strike while they aren't as hot.
1: No, uh, that's great. But it is – like I think everybody has different kinds of issues in getting everything to align. Like we had – we were – we wanted to play oceans this week and we had a bunch of false starts, especially cause we were trying to get Paul and Alfred together from the East coast. And so you have time differences. And then there were phone calls and like, I think it'd be great if we, tried to keep our tuesday friday schedules going but it's it's actually proving to be very hard and like i I know i've been getting messages from jennifer because i think jennifer really wants to play some games and i think she thinks that there's more games going on than there actually are and then you know because sometimes like ben threw out something yesterday saying hey let's play a game and it just worked out that we could get some people together at that time but it's actually
0: just three of us but yeah
1: that's right in the end it, it just ended up being uh being being three so
0: yeah i haven't put out a single a a single successful invite to to a game situation um but you know because we had to review oceans we we did play oceans uh, a few more times Uh, we played roads and boats yesterday you me and ben that was fun and uh, my copy of the crew came in and i've been playing it with the family at home and it uh it's a hit it's a hit. Oh
1: good. Okay. We we have a copy and you've been playing with the family.
0: Yes. Yes, I've been playing with the family. The grandma who lives one one block away came comes over for, for dinner most nights and we played it with her and she loved it. Uh, my wife loves it. Um, you know, I think I think it's going to be a, a long-running hit for us. It's a really really solid game. There is uh, listen, card games already are great. For casual, super casual gamers, which which a lot of my family is is in that category, mm-hmm. because you already know, right? I, do you know how to play a basic trick-taking game? Yes, I know how to play a basic trick. Well, guess what? Then you know 90% of what the crew is. Then to add on top of that, the fact that it's a co-op game where we are actually all working together. Um, it removes the, you know, hurt feelings. It removes the super competitive thing. You know, it it adds a layer of hilarity, uh, the hilarity being that for a time it was me, my wife, and my mother-in-law playing the crew, and they just kept talking about what they were going to do. And I'm just like, you can't, the That's one thing the game, you can't yeah. do in this game <laughs> <laughs> is, and they're like, so... If I had the this card then I should probably pick up this, right? <laughs> like like there's the one thing you can't do and you know eventually I just had to throw in the towel and I said, okay, you know what, for this learning game? Yeah. Everybody, (laughs) everybody says what you want to say. Okay. We, I think we, we didn't fail a single mission because of that. And, uh, and everybody had a grand time and, uh, you know,
1: Well, that was always my take on Hanabi was that Hanabi was really more of just a litmus test for how much cheating your social group allowed. Oh yeah. You know, because every, like the whole game seems to be geared towards testing the edge of what is acceptable within within the rules and uh the crew may fall into that category i think the crew is going to be a very important game in the industry and and i really look forward to playing it again
0: yeah i mean i do think that it has a little bit of the hanabi in terms of it is a game where the rules of the game restrict communication Mm-hmm. And that, if there is going to be something that stops this game from being a real breakout and really, right, really getting that, is that people don't like that, right? I mean, yeah, that's not why
1: you're gaming. A lot of times, you want to be chatting it up.
0: Casual gamers, party gamers, the
1: the, the When you play bridge, you, you play you play bridge silently, don't you? Kind of mean you're oh, yeah, you, insane, you but to. you you specifically can't talk about.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Because because everything is a signal in that game. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. No, it's it's very very strict. The rules are very very strict about the, right. about that. So it is more like that. But you know that ain't a casual game or game. Bridges no, bridges serious serious stuff. Um, I had a great time playing uh, roads and boats with with, with you guys yesterday. I, I I love that game. I really really enjoy it. Um, and I didn't feel i I think that tabletop simulator it it takes a ten and makes it an eight for me, you know yeah. what i mean it's like it it's just I just don't enjoy the online experience as much as I do the in person experience and it it it's just i I'm feeling myself not liking everything as much. It's sort of like putting everything on mute a little bit um but I found roads and boats to be not as bad as some of the others. I think because even when you're playing Roads and Boats in person, you have all these little chits that you have to put out and all these little things that you have to to do. The fact that you're doing it virtually, which is a little more ham handed, didn't feel more onerous, right? It felt, it felt about the same.
1: Well, there were trade-offs, right? Like I I feel like I'm getting more and more competent with, tabletop simulator and that I can kind of fly around and I'm comfortable, you know, clicking on things and picking them up. And I was still really struggling with just all the pieces in that game and even like getting a damn donkey to stand upright and like (laughs) us trying to indicate like what goods our donkeys were in possession of. I was just spending a lot of time, uh, manipulating the pieces. That was a big, that was a big negative on that. A little positive was, is that, um there are a number of highly detailed references yes. in the game. There's so like this is such an expansive game. It feels almost more like a computer game that you can play out, like Dwarven Fortress or something that you're playing as a board game. Yeah. But there's a ton of information there, but Tabletop Simulator does a fantastic job of like I can just put my mouse over that reference hit the alt key it pops up full frame and like any of those struggles if you've ever played a board game where you're having trouble reading another player's position or what's this text over here or could you stop hogging the rulebook so I can look at it like tabletop simulator handles that incredibly well where you can read anything see anything you want and reference it very quickly and, and easily yeah uh, so that would have that was definitely a positive because uh, you know splatter games especially like the the, anti- the antiquity and the roads and boats games are kind of the epitome of fiddly games yes positive negative they're fiddly both in terms of the rules and in terms of uh the pieces and like you do need to if you're gonna play antiquity or roads and boats you have to sit there and you need to study these buildings so that you can kind of think what's my path through what's my strategy i mean i think ben (laughs) Ben was through
0: the very first round of the game and then immediately was like I've made a huge mistake.
1: <laughs> oh, many 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 mistakes were made on all kinds of different social levels in in that game. It was a little bit of a, it was a it was a little bit of a pissy game, I would say <laughs> that and that's that was that was my fault. I don't know if it was ever going to be a friendly game of, of roads and boats, but uh, there's certainly potential for a, a high interactivity. Yes, it is a highly interactive.
0: Positive interactivity or negative interactivity. <laughs> yeah. We could we could have If we were different people, we could have said, hey, if you build a paper mill, I'll build a raft factory and you can use mine and I can use yours and we can just and we could just go right ahead and do that. We did not do that. No, we spent the entire game stealing people's geese (laughs) and building walls so that you can't get my geese back. It escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, it was it was wonderful. I it, it, I really uh, I would like to play more of that. Um, you know, ben, I would
1: like for you to play more of that.
0: Okay, fine, fine. Be that way. Be that way. And then, Ocean. <laughs> I, did,
1: I think this. I mean, we found ourselves in this situation a bunch here, I, and I think this falls into the category of a game that will require a lot of study. It probably deserves a lot of study it's just a question of whether i you know want to invest sure. my time into that study for, for me roads and boats and antiquity feel a little bit old they do feel a little bit uh, fiddly but i would say that there are plenty of players that love complexity that will get into that and just see the huge realm of possibility it's almost like an open world multiplayer computer game where like the possibilities are endless. And I think that's what Ben was responding to. I don't want to characterize his take on the game, but he seemed to be really just enjoying the gigantic realm of possibilities. Yeah. It's a a sandbox. Yeah. Very sandboxy, super sandboxy, which I found over overwhelming. And I can understand that there would be some really, that could be really challenging and fun in order to master, but it's going to require a great deal of investment.
0: Um, yeah, maybe I think antiquity more so than roads and boats in, in this sense, in the sense that you play antiquity for a while and you start to see strategies emerge and okay, this is how to deal with the awfulness that the game presents you because it's, it's a, it's a civilization building game where civilization is out to kill you. It's, it's, you know, there is, there is famine, there is pollution, everything is dying around you, um, So there's a lot more um, strategy that that the kind of thing you're talking about where it it involves study um, is, I think, more true in that game. Whereas in Roads and Boats, yeah, there is, but it's kind of everything is right there for you. And the study of the game is merely each game is its own is its own thing. And everything is tremendously situational in Roads and Boats. Uh, tactical more than strategic. Let's put it that way, to some degree. Um, so yeah, it, it it depends. It depends on what what you're after. It is both of these games are very very fiddly. And you said for good and for bad, uh, Fiddly's bad for me. I, I don't like fiddly. But because these games are so exceptional, um, I'm willing to deal with the fiddly because no other game does what these two games do. So that's that's where I come out on that. Should we get to the news? Yep. Let's do it. Good evening, Mr. Mr.
1: Knopf, South American. All tips and
0: Let's go to press. News. First up in game news, um, we, we first of all we don't have a lot of game news as you can tell. There are other things going on in the world right now that's going to reduce that by a little bit. Um, we actually talked about this a little bit before uh, Dune, the new Dune tabletop game from uh, uh, Gale Force Nine. Is going to have an expansion. The ha- expansion is uh, Ixians and the Tlilaxu. It's a yeah, house. Good expansion. pronunciation, I think.
1: Pardon me. Solid, solid pronunciation. I think you, you nailed it. Well,
0: I try, you know, I try. Ixians
1: and, and the Tlilaxu.
0: Yes, and technically we have speaking, folded folded space from Ix. That's right. And technically speaking, shouldn't be the Ixians because, as we all know, that is actually the House Richess, right? They're not right. We all know that. We yes. all know that. We all know that. Yes, but uh, you know, just because they come from the Planet X doesn't mean they're, you know, uh, that's what they so, are.
1: Tom, I seem to, so is this, is this kind of a reissue? Because there was an expansion on, didn't this expansion kind of exist for the original game
0: also? This is why I want to bring this up, because we, ha- uh, okay. we have mentioned this before. And I said when this came out that you're absolutely, you're exactly right. They had an expansion for this, and it wasn't very good. There were mm. about three or four different expansions for the original Dune. None of them made the game better. Gotcha. They, uh, um, in, in my opinion, not just in my opinion. in a lot. So of this opinion,
1: isn't just like here are two other houses you can play. This actually is supposed to allow you to play seven and eight player, which sounds like a terrible idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could be. But here's the thing. The rules and pieces for this iteration of the Dune game are completely different than the original Avalon Hill expansions. Mm. That is the sentence that I saw that was not, that was not announced before. That is very interesting. We're to gonna
1: me. try it. We're gonna try it.
0: Yeah, have to, have yeah. to try it, have to do it. I love the Tlaloc suit. We should,
1: good. we should be playing this game more anyway.
0: Hundred percent. I, I wonder. Well, what's, the if, tr- what's,
1: what's the problem though? It's like the problem is, is that Dune does require, like, the people at the table have to commit. You don't, you don't, you don't play Dune. Uh, Half assed. No. No. Like you, everybody and, has to be down. And like you gotta this have this has to be a game that you say, we're playing Dune on Saturday. If you want to play Dune, show up on Saturday type of thing. It's not one like, hey, we could play Dune on Friday night. Like, that's almost, that's, it's hard for that to happen. It needs to be, there, it has to be properly set up.
0: There are the not for everyone games that we have that are amazingly perfect for the group of people that they're perfect for, and just non starters for other people. I would say that that you and eighteen XX are pretty much in that category, right? I mean, for some people, that is you know a a a shout to the you know a shout of joy when we get to play eighteen XX. For other people, people like you, that's like nope, don't want to don't want to do it. There are some people that are that definitely that way for Dune, and I totally get it. It is yeah. a very different type of game to get your head around, to commit to, and to say this is something that I want to do and spend that time. Mm-hmm. And it's also six player only, really. I mean, would why on earth would we play Dune if we only have five or four players? I don't think we would do it. Right? It's kind of we balanced know. that way. So uh, tricky. I, I here's what I think about the, the this new expansion. I love that they're doing a different rules than than the original expansion, and they're making it different. I think that's fantastic because the, I wouldn't be interested in it with the old expansion. That said, Gale Force Nine is not a, a a company that I have a tremendous amount of faith in. The, the Dune game that they put out was had as little innovation to it as you can possibly imagine. It was basically uh, fan art and uh, a cobbled-together rule set that was basically the rules of the original Dune with, with just the slightest uh, uh, shifts for a few of the things that we have found over time to be a rule that needs to change. And uh, yeah, I I don't know if they're gonna do a great job. I hope they will. I really hope um, they will. Yeah,
1: right. I'm glad it's back. I, I I thought it was it was fine. I was just happy to see the the game back and people able to get copies. So we'll, let's we'll we'll keep an open mind for for the expansion. Um, yeah, exactly. I, but, but you're right. My like my expectations are low. I don't feel like we especially need this. We should we can be just be playing
0: the normal game. But I'm curious to see what it does. And you know what? I would love to play. If if the other two factions work, I would love to play eight-player Dune. <laughs> I mean, I may never want to play it a second time, but I have to play it one time. So let's move on. Next up is uh, Matt Leacock is uh, is having a moment. He is, the, <laughs> he is the designer of a game called Pandemic, and it has gone from being a game that is mostly a hobby game that little by little is getting some play by by people that uh, that don't normally play hobby games to being a game that uh, every journalist out there is talking about, right? They, they, they all think that they're clever talking about how we're all locked in. Hey, we can play board games and things like that. And, oh, there's this game called Pandemic, which seems to be quite popular. Um, I don't – I've read – Well, this game was already a big deal no, in, the, I, I, in the gaming world. I don't in mean Legacy, to take anything away it from the, them was a huge deal um just in comparison to it it didn't uh people don't bring it up the way they bring up Catan. it it's not you know it's it's not quite at that level it is available you do find it in target so it's it's that's right it
1: has crossed over to the 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 targets of and, and the barnes and nobles yes of of the world already and this is this is another step
0: but you know, we we did we did a bunch of best games of the year lists over the last couple of months that we were seeing in different places, and there were plenty of places that didn't have even pandemic as one of the games that they're thinking about. Right? They're, they're you know Monopoly and uh, you know the the game of life and all sorts of all sorts right. of stuff like that. So you know, it, it, it's still but those
1: articles are often. Very
0: embarrassing. Oh, horrible, horrible! And some of the and some of the pandemic articles that have been been coming out have been just very, very surface. So I was very, very happy to find out that Matt, uh, for the New York Times, uh, they did a particularly good article that was called "No single player can win this board game." It's called Pandemic, and uh, Matt said quite eloquently, "I thought my hope is that Pandemic can provide a model for us in this time of crisis." We don't all have to be globe trotting heroes to do our part. We each have special skills and should use them to make the city and statewide lockdown safer and easier to bear. We need to communicate effectively, reach out to our friends and loved ones, and to ensure that whatever we share on social media is based on facts. Uh, there's, a, there's another paragraph we could keep on going, but I, I think that's right there. It's just amazing, just wonderful. You know, you, you take your you take your moment in the in, in the in the sun. And you say the game of pandemic is a cooperative game, and boy, do we need to be cooperative right now what a what a what a wonderful, wonderful way of of taking this this moment and focusing on the thing that really is important
1: sure I mean Matt is an industry leader uh, he was at tabletop network that we went to last year, and um, I think especially for people listening in that are thinking about designing games and are looking about like how to be a professional, uh, game designer and to, and to, uh, emulate certain practices in mm. order to, you know, create games. Uh, Matt Leacock is, should be your, you know, your light in the darkness. <laughs> um, cause he's, he especially talks about being a professional and best habits and how to test. And so I, I would encourage people to, you know, um, you know, research, Matt, look up, you know him on BGG. I think he puts out a lot of different stuff to kind of help uh, designers out. So he truly is kind of an industry leader and we're seeing that he's, you know, expanding into a lot of different areas too. So we're, you know, we're lucky to have him.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in other news, we got uh, a whole bunch of things are being delayed. Things are being pushed. Things are not coming out. You know, th- this is a, a tumultuous time for everybody but it's great to see occasionally something really cool happening. Uh, the Polish publisher, Portal Games, which I said was a Czech publisher a couple weeks ago, right. um, has yeah. done something, what I think is really, really awesome. They have a game we reviewed called Detective. We talked about how much we love playing Detective. It's it's for that genre, for that uh, cooperative deduction, uh, solving a, a, a problem storytelling game. Uh, it's really fantastic. What's fantastic about it, probably more than anything else, is that it's based on real cases. So you're... you're, It's not just... You know, the writing in these things can sometimes not quite add up to what you want it to be. Like, our imaginations can be better than that. But if you're taking it from real cases that have interesting twists and the detectives were... You know, had a, a tough time figuring... Putting all the pieces together. Boy, oh boy, what a great way to uh, to do that. Anyway... They have put out something called Detective Suburbia, Detective colon Suburbia. And it is a scenario that is a free PDF that everybody can download. And without having the detective base game, you can play it at home. So if you don't have detective, you can still play a short Detective scenario. You could play a short deduction game where you're working together as detectives trying to uh, trying to solve a a crime. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm I'm dying to dying to check this out. I'm dying to play it. But to to do that for people that haven't even bought your game, first of all. How many people might play this and then decide, "Hey, I want to buy that game." That's that's great in and of that, but but beyond that, just the the the, the thought that there's a lot of people that are locked up, people you know are, are sequestered, people are having trouble finding you know good ways to fill the time. I just think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go a little bit further in that. I, I feel like the the writing in board games has been pretty universally bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, Detective was an exception to that. And probably part of it was that it was based upon uh, reality. But yeah, looking at this here, like the Portal Games website um, with how to play this expansion is
0: incredibly easy to use. So people should definitely check it out. Totally, totally. Uh, Keeping up the good news is mostly a a good news news day. People are really doing things to come together and help everybody out. Um, Gamma, the the trade industry convention that just uh, uh, closed, put out a publisher crisis initiative list, which basically means what publishers are doing something to deal with the fact that all of our friendly local game stores are closed and the industry is is in shock, just like so many other industries. And they have this list that's really great. It's great to see what's on there. It's maybe telling to see what's not on there, but companies like um, Ad Astra are going to... Uh, PayPal, 25% of the uh, price. You can order games from Ad Astra directly. And if you specify the game store that you would normally buy this from, they will send 25% of that retail price that you paid to that game store. And there's a whole list. Arcane Wonders, 25%, Atlas Games, um it- Again and again and again. Uh, Fog of Love, a, a great small ga- a game company. Forbidden Games. Game. Brewery. I mean, there's
1: there's over a hundred on the list here. I, I think you're just go- you're just going alphabetically, so it's.
0: Yeah, I don't want to get 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 to. Yeah, yeah, it's gr- it. it's
1: it's great. I think. I mean, reading between the lines here, though, this this is kind of scary document. Oh right? yeah. Be- because it it isn't that hard to think that. You know what percentage of brick and mortar game stores are just never gonna reopen after this? Like we're we're gonna take a big hit on locations, especially because it's not like a year from now. I don't think that things will just be magically back to the way they were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, practices are probably gonna change um, for stores if there's any kind of health risk with coming together. So, it, I mean, for a portion of the industry that was already really struggling this is this is a devastating time that's going to change uh, how this all works
0: in the United States yeah I mean in in Europe there are a bunch of uh, countries that are instituting a uh, rent freezes uh, if we had a rent freeze here uh, it, it, that would go a long way. To make businesses like friendly local game stores, restaurants, uh, they might be able to much better survive this uh, this situation without that. Um, a lot, you're absolutely right. A lot of these companies, uh, a lot of these small businesses, are going to have a really, really hard time bouncing back. Well, let me put it this way. I mean i I have gone and played
1: like in card game tournaments. Mm-hmm. I have always regarded when I go and do this, like you go and you see your friends and you play a bunch of card games and you're hugging and you're drinking and you're staying out till three. And like every single one of these I go to, I end up getting sick. Like <laughs> you're like, we go to Gen Con, we get concrete You know, like this is a, almost like a, a, a standard part of like the, the gaming world. I, I don't see how coronavirus doesn't change everybody's calculation on the way that you come together with strangers and play games going going forward
0: until there's a right and until there's a vaccine possible possibly
1: sure but even then i think people will be gunshot i mean it's like people that grew up during the depression sure, sure. always you know hoarded food after that or something you know like there's just no way that this doesn't have longer term changes on behavior
0: i i agree uh, i also i wonder i had this conversation just the other day um, we were talking about movies and the movie theaters and that, yep. you know, the, the business that Matt and uh, Dimitri and I all, you know, and plenty of other people and you as well have, have, have worked in. What's going to happen to the movie industry? And um, there was a very smart person that that I know that knows a lot about the business of Hollywood. And he gave a very interesting perspective. He was like, it is possible. It is not probable it is not definite but it is possible that that at the end of the day and we're talking a year two years three years down the line this could be a great thing for that for those businesses in the sense that being cooped up being in you know locked down um we may find that we are going to crave in a longer and broader way than we have as a as a society to be out to go out to dinner more, to go out to the movies, to have communal experiences again once we're once we're allowed to, and it could be something that uh, that that really sparks a a, a positive thing. Uh, there there are countries in in Europe, um, Spain, um, Germany to some degree, that have a real street culture where where people go out. Uh, you know, most nights they'll 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 go out. They'll hang out. They'll you know they'll they'll have a drink or they'll get together in a in a park and and hang out with people. And his perspective was there is a there is a chance that this is going to shock us maybe a little bit out of our already isolated lives and and create a real thirst for uh, for communal activity. So we'll see. I hope I hope he's right. I that hope sounds right too. tremendously optimistic to. Me. I thought it was too, but I thought I'd share it anyway. <laughs> nice. Um, and then, last but not least, uh, Jennifer, our own game pioneer. Jennifer had a very interesting post on Facebook that uh, that I felt we need to, to, to share. We need to talk about. Uh, she she pointed out that as more and more board gamers are moving to tabletop simulator, that the designers are not getting paid at all for people playing games there. Now, not. Nobody is getting paid um, because when you download Tabletop Simulator, there are DLCs. There are about, what do you say, about 40, Trey?
1: Yeah, it was only about 40 that you actually had to you know pay money to unlock. Yes, yep.
0: and if you pay to unlock, these are official mods so that this game can be played. And uh, I I assume I haven't played any of those that, uh, you know, the mods are more automated, more, you know, well put together than everything. But we are playing games. (laughs) Maybe.
1: I don't know. I haven't done it. I haven't
0: done it. But but when I look at the titles, they're not the games that I want to play. They really, they really, for the most part, aren't. It's not, you're right. It's not tremendously representative
1: of the entire pantheon here. I mean, I can see... You know, of course, Jamie Stegmeier's got wingspan and yes. Scythe and Viticulture up here, but it, you know, you don't see like all the top ten games represented no. here at all.
0: No, I, no. Listen, if there was a if there was a game that I really wanted to play that was on that list, I would absolutely. What is it? It's like seven bucks for most of the DLC, something like that. I would totally pay that. No problem. Happy to do it. But they, but they're not, and so we go to the workshop where fans have made mods to be able to play those games, and. The conversation uh, that that Jennifer started uh, was very very interesting because of course Jennifer is the game pioneer. She has friends, so Vital Lacerta weighed in on it. Alexander Fister weighed in on it. Um, Alexander Fister was a little bit more in the school of it, it's it's kind of all right. I understand people playing that and doing that vital was very much like i don't think that should be done i don't think that's a, a a good idea they're they're illegal they don't have allowances from the publisher or designer to put games up there uh and so then the question became you know sh- what's the right thing to do how do we how do we navigate this right we are locked in our rooms we are locked in our hmm. in our houses we want right, to play what's these the ethical games. response here exactly exactly as players Right, should should the publishers issue DMCA takedowns and remove these games from the you know from the workshop from being able to be played on tabletop simulator? They one hundred percent have the right to do that. We can. Right. There's no argument there. But if there's no other way, like how w- how would we play roads and boats any other way? We would not. We would not. We would basically be saying for the next however many however many months, whatever period of time, we cannot play these games. At what point? At what point is it, uh, it, it is the best response for these people not to do that? And what should we do as gamers? What do you think, Trey?
1: Well, I think this is an issue that the music industry has already faced, and I'm not sure they dealt with it especially well. Like, because we're kind of in the, what the Napster world. Of board games now, where we can get this content for free, without paying, like in in that and like the, the barriers of us doing that don't really exist. Whereas now, like you, what if you're gonna you're gonna torrent MP4s to listen to? No, not really. Like they made it easy enough that we can do, you know, uh, iTunes and other forms of getting music that we pay for, and we get what we need. But like that changed the music industry um, radically, and sure. I and I think. But what I would say is like as a player right now, mm-hmm. I think we should be thinking about this. Um, I'm not playing any games online that I don't like that we don't have a copy of within yeah. our game group. Yep. I personally don't have a copy of Oceans, but what, is, it, is it Matt's copy that yeah, we're playing? I have, I have it right, right here, now. Yeah. I probably am going to buy a copy of Oceans because I like it, and I think that you know this kind of try before you buy thing is probably fine in the industry. Um, I do think we like if, you're, if you find yourself playing a game a number of times, hopefully you want to get a physical copy. I know um, I played a lot of Agricola online at playagricola.com years mm-hmm. ago. Yep. And like the way we approached that with that site was um, we looked at like what was the maximum number of tables we could run concurrently, which was something to like 20. It wasn't a huge site. And the, the site bought 20 physical copies. Right. So that there like there go. was a physical copy behind every digital representation. Of course, as an Agricola player, I own three different copies anyway for some reason. Um, and the same thing's true with like I'm playing Game of Thrones LCG second edition online right now. I don't pay a penny for that. I give a little bit of money to the person who runs the online site, but I didn't have to buy those cards. That said, I have all the physical cards. That's FFG true. got my money using their L C G model, so I don't I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of anyone because I paid, I've paid for this game and now I'm playing it online. Um, Yeah.
0: I, I I feel that, yeah, your Napster um, parallel is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, Napster was taking music that with one click at a different site, you can buy, you could buy uh that and play that immediately online. The games that we're playing on Tabletop Simulator and are not compensating somebody, yeah, the, the factors are these. Number one, we own these games. We have copies, so we have paid the, the designers for them. We're just trying to play them and keep playing them and actually introduce new people to them sometimes um, o- online until we can get back together and play them in person. So we do have those games. But if there is no other way to play it, right now we're locked in. And I, there is no way to play this game. That's a little different than than the Napster, than, right. than the Napster yeah. model. That
1: obviously the the present circumstances have changed things dramatically.
0: What I would say is like, what 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 would we
1: really want to see here? Like, what we would want is to see tabletop simulator and and these other platforms track games played. And if, for example, Oceans represents eight percent of the games played, then should there be a certain amount of revenue distributed based upon you know what actually gets played yeah like or, this, does netflix do that at all or netflix just acquires the rights and then in uh,
0: you know <laughs> I, I, are you asking are you asking me to guess as to the 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 algorithms at netflix which they will never reveal the, i mean, oh, okay to yeah. anyone
1: i'm just saying like this is yeah. not an unsolvable
0: no, problem no i uh, listen I, I mean how to spot it Yeah, I don't I don't think Tabletop Simulator has any uh, is going to share the any dude. of the twenty dollar download price that they have but to they give should. money but to maybe anybody. They maybe, they maybe they should. maybe the answer is if you have a game that people are playing a lot online and they're playing it for free, a lot of them are playing it for free because there is no other way to play it. Mm-hmm. is this a is this a good time for the for the tabletop industry for the publishers to put out dlc to get digital content out there i don't think that's a bad idea for the industry in general i think it's probably a pretty good thing for them to be doing and to be spending a little bit of uh, of time doing that i think it probably broadens audiences i don't know i don't you know i'm not an expert on the 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 business side of the business so we Mm -hmm. can't we can't really say that specifically but Probably if there's enough people playing your games and playing them for free, then there's probably a market for you to put out a DLC. I would not, I would not play a game on the workshop of Tabletop Simulator if there was a DLC available for it. I would pay for the, mm. pay for the DLC and, and do that. I think that absolutely is the ethical it's thing. It's cheap,
1: to too. I mean, I just looked and, like, you know, Wingspan is on there and it's seven ninety nine. Right. Yeah, right. That's very reasonable.
0: It's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah one person buys that four people play that's you we can afford that, people.
0: I mean, we've we've raved about the uh, uh, through the ages uh, implementation on on iOS, and and to, you know that game is amazing. And how much more are we uh, playing that game now that way? I think there's a lot of board games that would do very very well in these environments. Maybe the answer to some degree is to do that. And listen, if if the publishers want to take these things down with a DMCA takedown. Uh, I think they're totally within the rights me personally if I am playing a game on tabletop simulator that I do not own and I play it more than once you know more than just a try it once sort of situation and and I get into it I'm going to be buying the I'm going to be buying that game I'm going to be right. finding a way to put money in the pockets of the people that have designed it but uh I want to thank Jennifer for a, a very very interesting point and you know something that isn't isn't uh it isn't black and white. It isn't quite so, so clear as to exactly what we need to do, except that we, we need to support our industry. And right now, the way we're playing games is not really doing that. Yeah. Interesting. Shall we get to the, your favorite song, Trey? Games on I the Brain? I don't know what you're talking about. Games on the Brain? Games, games of the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains, oh baby. Never gets old. Never gets old. Trey, what's in your brain right now? Okay, so
1: um, i have been getting back into Game of Thrones,
0: Uh-oh. the
1: living card game, Uh-oh. which is actually a fantasy flight has ended its official support of this game. Um, what's interesting is that the community of players who love the game are committed to continuing it. And we actually just completed a huge election, a international election across, you know, uh, all the continents where people from around the world voted to form a conclave of nine, nine players who are forming the players community to continue the game and to continue to develop new content, change the restricted list, organize tournaments. Um, and so one of the things that's been going on is, you know, they've continued to organize tournaments, but now all of these tournaments are going online. Because mm-hmm. you can't gather in person, so we're starting to see a number of tournaments take place um, online. And you're so you're instead of playing with the other people in Southern California, as I was doing a year ago, now I'm you know I'm playing games uh, which I, I played in a tournament yesterday called Dances with Dragons. It's the f- Dances with Dragons Five. It's normally on. It's an East Coast tournament, but I played a game games yesterday with uh, players from the UK, Canada. Uh, it was a it was a great event, and so that's part of the adjustment that's going on nice. um, with my friends.
0: Do you think it's a, a, do you think that the exit of Fantasy Flight is going to, in in retrospect, be a great thing for it, or or where you where you fall on that? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think
1: it's a, a great thing. Um, I think everybody wanted to see it, this game have a longer, supported life. Right. Um, but I think it would be okay, and I think there's, there are other games that have, like, um, people are still playing Netrunner. Sure. And this is the model, and, they're putting, and they have a player's committee, and they're putting out uh, new content. So um, I think the, th- the problem was just it was hard for Fantasy Flight to m- make money. On this model, like there's a reason why magic is still such a cornerstone of the industry and LCGs are not big money makers, but they might. Ex- but but this is a good game. This is a really good game. Um, so I think, you know, if people want to get into Game of Thrones, you can do that now. You can play it online. Uh, I think you you just look up uh, the Iron Throne online and you can play the game online. Uh, and uh, I'm going to have to now, say something
0: now because uh, Fantasy Flight is owned by Asmodee, correct? Yep. And uh, when we were talking about the this huge long Google document of all the various companies that are giving back to their friendly local game stores, Asmodee is not on that list. <laughs> is that right? I will make okay. it a point to point that out. I will also say that that um, they, they recently raised prices on some of their more popular games, and they did that thing that we talked about quite a bit, which was now their return policy is, right. is, is that if you are missing a single piece from a game, you have to return the entire game to your friendly local game store, which are now closed for the most part. So uh, what have they put out as their uh, direction or their information? To my knowledge, they have put out nothing at all. They have not suggested what we should do, uh, should we receive a, a game with a piece that is missing that we bought from a friendly local game store before they closed? So, boom. so
1: the other the other games on my brain in the is that um, we've uh, I know a number of gamers in Chicago have put together um, essentially like online LARPs. Um, yes. Our friend Vivian, yep. is one of the organizers. And so that's a group of LARPs called Love in the Time of the Corona. Or love in the time of corona, and we 've been doing like discord games. how have they been going they've been going they 've been going a pretty interesting what 's interesting about them is that um, they 're pretty heavy <laughs> um, because people have a lot of emotion uh, sure. and um, y- I mean you 're finding out like obviously playing some kind of discord larps you're it 's hard to have any kind of large player count right. Yeah, they tend to be smaller and intimate, and they're almost like um, they're almost like AM radio call-in shows. But uh, people are finding some fantastic ways to game and to connect with other people, and really deal with a lot of the stuff that's going on through through gaming, through LARPing, and using the technology. And I think we're going to see a lot of really interesting content emerge from this period.
0: I, you know what it's really interesting because on my brain is something very very similar uh, and it actually came from I'm friends with the exact same people that are doing this and when I when I heard that Vivian and uh, and all those folks were doing that I was like oh that's fantastic it made me think of something called de profundis have you ever heard of de profundus it's it's a uh, so uh, the original de profundus was a series of letters from Oscar Wilde that he wrote while he was in jail uh, to uh, Bosie, uh, to his, you know, basically recounting uh, his relationship and la- lifestyle and all of, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it, the letters were what led to his conviction and imprisonment for indecency and so on and so forth. But De Profundis is actually a role-playing game. And I'm going to use the term role-playing game extremely generally because what it is is a post-designer named Michael Oratz um, designed this game that essentially is you're, doing, you're writing your own H.P. Lovecraft story collaboratively. Hmm. What it is is I will create the name of my character and what my character is and what I'm, uh, and what I'm doing and I write a letter to a colleague like I've I've come across I've come across a book in the in the uh, the, the the new archive that we've unveiled and it's revealing this. I can hear, I can hear of...
1: your voice changing. Oh yes, a right. character is emerging.
0: I'm not even I'm not even doing it. I'm trying to I'm trying You're to not do an accent. Go, the so character
1: hard. was emerging there.
0: Well, yes, I found the most amazing, <laughs> <laughs> the most amazing discovery. It would seem that the ancient Peruvians have drawn drawn these uh, petroglyphs that are exactly the same as the Aztecs. Anyway, um, and you send that letter on, right, or email or, or whatever, and then the other people reading that are going to and you're basically just doing a collaborative storytelling that is based on the the idea in, in these hp lovecraft stories of writing you're writing letters back and forth with a bunch of people that are trying to unveil you know to unveil a mystery or to uh, uh discover the this this horrible thing that is happening and so on and so forth and uh it's really it's really awesome and it is something that i've never you know i've never gotten a buy in from from anybody with but in this particular situation that we are all in it is perfect it 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 would be amazing and so de profundis de uh, first word profundis p r o f u n d i s uh and type in rpg otherwise you won't you you may not find it Uh, if that's if that might be interesting to you it's a very very kind of cool thing where you could just it's not even a role-playing game so much as what it would be is it'd be a little diversion where you would you would sort of create a little psychodrama story between a a bunch of friends where you would each take on a role and uh, and by the way you could do that in any genre you could do that it doesn't have to be Cthulhu it's it's written as Cthulhu in in this sort of thing but it's it's a game with almost no rules so why not you know why, why not explore what what uh, different kinds of stories you know any story which is based on people writing letters to each other uh, could be done uh did I cut you off Was there anything else you wanted to say games on the brain
1: no 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 I think I think that's an interesting idea I you know the thing
0: I'm finding uh
1: that I'm craving. Uh, In this time of isolation is, you know, um, you know, the sound of other people's voice Mm. and even like, uh, you know, thank God for Zoom and Skype and other things where we can actually see each other and look other people and see their faces and stuff. I think that's the type of thing where I, I find that I really need more of um that's a good point in this time because we're so we're so isolated i think that that ways that we can use the technology to connect and play games is um is i think there's going to be a lot of innovation
0: i think you might be right i think you might be right i think that's i think it's pretty great i've enjoyed using zoom in um teaching perspectives and in other you know in in other things i'm having a good time yeah we're moving um
1: so i'm part of this um local California, um, LARP, I started, I think I told you about this, you know, that, um, cause I never wanted to do buffers, but then I had some friends get me into helping do some, some buffers. And the one I'm in is called apocalypse 47. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're in the process now of considering options of taking a buffer LARP and moving it online. And like, how do you do, how do you take a LARP with 60 people and do it in zoom? Right. You know, right. had, you know, and so we're like starting to explore like, oh, we can do these breakout groups. We can put it in a haunted hotel with different rooms so that we're always forcing, you know, interactions of four and five people so that it's manageable great. within within the space. And so uh, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about uh, now where we're, we'll see new types of games emerge that use the technology but can connect people from around the world.
0: Oh, I think that's a great idea. I love it. I love it. Um we're we're almost at the we're at the hour mark now, so pretty much almost. Uh so let's uh, let's keep on going. Let's talk about the eight by eight challenge. Guess what? We played roads and boats today. That's a splotter. That counts. We are moving along. We are into our second year trying to complete a single eight by eight challenge. But uh you know, we, we talked last week about why that's so hard, but we're getting there. We're getting there, people. Uh, and now let's move on. It, it is your week, Trey. Normally we would do the game review, but you would like to do the member-specific segment first. So let's do your. <sighs> I same. know I'm so I'm so difficult. You're you're wanting not to difficult. do things you're, my own way. You're you're a groundbreaker. Okay, you march to the beat of your own drum, and I love it.
1: Talk to well, me. well. What, what I talking? wanted to talk about was actually um, what a couple weeks ago. You were having a conversation, and you started to talk about uh, strategy versus tactics. Yes, and this, and you were talking about that in the context of wargaming,
0: right? Whereas in wargaming, it's it's very specific. It it, it refers to the, uh, the the distance above the map that it, it, metaphorically. How far above the map are you, are you talking about? Are you generals looking at a map of all of Europe? You're playing a strategic game. Are you a, are, are you a lieutenant or, you know, or a captain looking at a small part of the Ardennes Forest and trying to figure out what your individual unit is, small units are, are doing? That's tactical. That's, that's the way that is generally used in, in that sense. But in, in our game... Right, so
1: it's a question, right, what you're really talking about is what's the scale?
0: Yes, Correct.
1: Right. So how, how far are we zooming in or in our outs? So the more you zoom in, the more you're talking about tactics, the further you you widen out. You're more talking about strategy precisely in the in the war game context. And so I was th- I was thinking, um, let's let's talk about that in terms of the uh, board games, though, in the in the space sure. that we're actually in. And maybe it just as a way also of dissecting the different games we play, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. some of the distinctions that we make, um, between games, because I think like we've seen, we talk a lot about, uh, mechanics or mechanisms Mm -hmm. and defining games that way. Um, but maybe we should also be thinking of these games in terms of, uh, where they are on a, it's not exactly a continuum of more strategic versus more tactical, but, um, games tend to have some of each, but they can be heavier on one or the other. So when we're talking so. about board games, when we talk about strategy, what we're probably talking about is strategy is like the overarching plan or set of goals. It's the you know, careful, skillful thinking in planning in order to achieve victory.
0: Yeah, long-term planning as opposed to, right, right. How, how much in advance can I decide to pursue this, this strategy without having to divert from it, right? Right.
1: So then tactics might be the, like the specific actions or steps that you undertake in order to accomplish your strategy. So that tends to be more of the, what am I doing right now? Yes. Like, what's what am I doing? Like, what's my turn? Like, you are you're often going to be on your turn. You're going to look and make the best decision for what to do right now, and that's that's probably mostly a tactical decision. You're going to consider your strategy, but you're going to make a, t- a tactical choice. This at, exactly. when doing this. Yes. Um. So I guess one of the things I was I was thinking about is for board games, a big design question or issue is when in the course of playing the game, do you form or adopt a strategy? You know, different games are going to kind of pose this question to you as you play them. For example, um, a lot of games are going to start out with everybody having identical starting positions. Right, and then as the game evolves, you're going to st- you start forming more of a arching strategy based upon what happened. There's some other games where you're going to start asymmetrically, and so it's giving you some really strategic, it, like, giving you a lot of information to suggest a strategy to pursue. Sure. Um,
0: so well, er, early on, right? Well, essentially, what you're saying is is that is that uh, variable start. And variable player power, right? Uh, asymmetrical starts and variable player powers are heavily weighted toward strategic thinking. Correct?
1: But they also might be, in a sense, making the game, they're helping you take this very large strategic question and simplify it, right? Yes. Because they're kind of saying, okay, you're, for playing um, Eclipse, and I've got the, uh, what's the tiling technological race in Eclipse, the hydrants the hydrants yes right like you're not gonna not do a technology strategy in playing the hydrants right yeah you know, i mean
0: I, I think i think the way i would put it is that in that game or you know it, gaia project uh, there are a lot of games that that have that as a as an element in those games you could pursue strategies a b c d or e but we're gonna give you a leg up on strategy C. On strategy C, you mm-hmm. have these, these advantages. So uh, maybe the game is going to, is going to pan out in such a way that strategy C, even with this leg up is not really going to be the, the best way to, to win the game, in which case you're going to have to shift to some degree, but boy, oh boy, are we going to give you a, a real strong head start in this one area? Right.
1: Right. So along those lines of just like, when do you make, when are you making your decisions about what strategy to pursue? Like for some games, you can, you can make this decision before you even come to the table. Like for example, you can say, I'm okay. I know I'm going to, I'm going to play a game of chess. Hmm. I'm white. There are opens, right? Like there are almost like scripted things I can do to open. And as the game progresses probably my ability to stick to that script goes away but these are these are things that you can actually study you can you can run strategic scripts uh, right because yeah, there's there's no variable
0: setup the less the yes the less variability there is and the less randomness there is in the game so 18xx uh, a game of 1830 has no random elements whatsoever So, and the board is exactly the same, and the companies are exactly the same, it's all exactly the way that it's going to be from time to time. So, when I play, and I choose this company, people, if I know what I'm doing, and other people know what they're doing, they can expect a certain amount of scripting uh, up to a point until the... The various random elements just created by the interplay of people trying to play their best game uh, uh, takes it out of the realm of predictability, right?
1: Right. And I would say, like, don't you feel like most board games, modern board games that we see intentionally uh, do not create that situation? Variable setup is like important to them that will require you to like evaluate your position and form a strategy based upon the setup.
0: Yes, I think it's I think it's I think that experience is uh, quite rare these days. That's absolutely right.
1: Right, and I think people almost, you know, when they do detect that there might be some scripting. Mm-hmm. in the opens they can be pretty hostile to it and this i mean and speaking of splatters like i feel like this is this is like one of the criticisms of some splatter games is that there like there may be some tactical there's definitely tons of tactical considerations when you play a lot of um splatter games but at the same time we know that there are certain kind of scripted paths to follow when you play food chain magnate part of what's fun about the new ketchup expansion and the new um, milestones is that we're having to form the new scripts but there are scripts i mean there are
0: i mean i can't think of hats. another splatter game that 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 has that though i mean i definitely agree with that food chain magnate uh, the original version had you know two decent starts you know it's it's always the first person you hire is the first decision you make and there were two of them that were tremendously viable, and then there was a big drop off until you got the third most viable. There,
1: there were more scripts. It, the problem was is that only two of them were competitive. Correct. And, and even then, one of them was more com- more competitive. And so far, I feel like you know, if we went to up, if we went to the BGG boards right now and we were looking up roads and boats or antiquity, we would probably see some threads that say something like. Okay, here's some different ways you can go, but, you know, turn one, you're going to build, you know, a woodcutter, turn two, you're going to, you know, build a clay factory, turn three, you do, you know, like there, I don't... a lot of games have this where you like, you can, and that's not a bad thing. No, no. It's just, and and like the variability, it's interesting, but this, this is the realm of strategy, but we, we tend to want games that don't allow you to stick to a script, or if there is going to be any kind of script, you like, you have to abandon it pretty quickly, or sure. you need to be adjusting after that
0: sure yeah i I think that that the rest of the splatter games have there there's so much randomness in terms of what does the map look like what Mm -hmm. section of map do i do i start on that uh that there isn't really a lot of of scripting there's there's a few best practices which i don't really think enters scripting and and even those uh, quickly fly out the window given given the variability of the start conditions but uh, yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. It, it's uh, yeah, I don't want to get too
1: sidelined on, on the on the splatter sure, sure. thing. I think what I would say though is like we know, especially with the way that game with its milestones, yes. you you're going to commit in a sense to a strategy when playing Food Chain Magnet, and then you kind of need to pursue it. Like if you halfway through decided, you know what my what is it uh, hiring girl or whatever, and I suddenly I want to go a to a trainer yeah. strategy. It's like that's you know like you there are progressions that you want to follow
0: yeah
1: in in that game
0: so for sure
1: so thinking about strategy um i'm I'm thinking about um like one of my favorite games of all time is agricola and you know part of that game is you get a handful of occupations and a handful of uh improvements when you play the game more competitively you do that as a draft and um you like i might go into a game of Agricola saying, hey, I'd really like to try out a livestock tra- strategy mm-hmm. when I play Agricola, but if my cards don't support that, uh, I'm going to be playing really suboptimally. Sure. Like When you play a good game, you're going to be like, what cards, what, what's the best strategy I can form out of these cards? So I feel a lot of times I'm gravitating towards games that have uh, have a lot of strategy and that a lot of times that strategy strategy is often at home in the hand of cards that we have. Yes, in a game.
0: Yes, and Agricola is very interesting because it is not a tremendously strategic game. It is th- those cards are your are, are your superpowers and the the advantages that you can get over the base game state. But any other player, if they keep taking the animals that you need, uh, e- even if you have better cards for that you can be you know you can need to zig or, or zag you can't necess- you can't follow a strategy blindly just because you have the cards there's a lot of other things that go into that decision making and, th- and that's where tactics comes in correct
1: right because you're right you're being kind of like tactically thwarted yes. in pursuing your strategy of of livestock and one of the, like again that's one of the things i think that's so rich about Agricola, especially if you're doing card drafting, is you're seeing all these different cards. So not only are you choosing what you're going to keep, but you have then have knowledge of what you've passed. So Mm -hmm. you can assume that, you know, cards that you don't take are going to be played and pursued by other people. So this all goes into the realm of things that I'm considering as I play the game out tactically, um, you know, of information that I I can kind of bank. Yes. Yes. So. When thinking about strategy, um, and maybe the distinction between tactics and strategy, I would say Tom, like, what what is your strategy when you play Ricochet Robots?
0: Oh, uh, Ricochet Robots is entirely tactical. There is no strategy whatsoever, right? It, it's. I am trying to, I mean, I guess there's strategy in the sense that I have a methodology that works for my brain to quickly calculate the lowest number of moves for a successful uh, solution to that. I guess in a sense, that's a strategy, but not, not really, right? Yeah, no, I I was, I was. I think
1: Ricochet Robots is a great game for kind of thinking about this issue, though, right? In terms of like what's a strategy and what's a tactic. If I was gonna, like, have to write down what my strategy is for Ricochet Robots, it might be almost imperceptible from what the rules tell me, like how to play the game. Yeah. I mean, like my strategy is figure out how to move the robot to the given space and then <laughs> say the number of moves required. I mean like that's I would, that's almost put, my that's the strategy and that's how you play.
0: Sure. I, I mean I'll go one step further. I believe that, that what I've found over time optimal strategy for the game is is to work backwards first until you have a good idea of the decision space to get that to get the last yard to the final spot where that robot needs to be. And then once you feel that you've got a, a good handle on that, quickly flip and work forwards until you hit one of those meeting points of the eight, 10, 20 different options that you just gamed out that way. So maybe that, maybe that's a strategy. Maybe that's not, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that, that, that is a hard one like, is that a strategy or is that your tactic for how you come up with the, the number? Yeah, um. So what do you think? Like, remember, Paul attempted to play the game differently (laughs) recently, right? Yes, he did. In a sense, like Paul attempted to apply a strategy to the game.
0: Yes, he attempted to break the game, as Paul does. And uh, his strategy was, I am going to call out a number right off the bat that is a a number that I should be able to achieve 90% of the time. And what I'm doing is the moment you call out a number, like if he would say a number like 12 or 15, which means in 15 moves or less, I can get the green robot to this green space to stop on on, on this green space exactly, right? And the, the game has these restrictions that make that kind of a hard thing to figure out. Generally, what happens is, is nobody says anything. You... Everybody stares at the board silently, figuring in their head how to do it. And once they do it and they've counted up how many moves it is, they call out their move. Then we flip a sand timer and everybody has 30 seconds to call out their own best best number because the person who called out the number might be wrong. Or Mm -hmm. another person might have a lower number and have found a better solution. And they're the ones who are going to win that trick. Paul decided that, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, the moment the thing is flipped, he's going to say 15, and then we have to flip the 30-second timer. And then he's created a different game, which is rather than find the best time, he is betting, can I find a 15, a very reasonable number, faster than somebody else can find less than that?
1: Yeah, he also identified there was no negative consequences to being wrong, and so he could narrow the scope of the the game and potentially give himself an advantage. So I, just, I thought this was a good example of a game that is almost a pure tactical game that yeah. players can still apply <laughs> strategies yes. to tactical situations. Um, and even if it ends up just being something like best practices, which I think is what you were talking about of like, you start to codify in your own mind, certain processes that you should pursue when playing a game, um,
0: and that's, and by the way, it might be might be just me. It might be just the way my brain works that that's the best. Or it might be something that is more universal. Super hard to tell when you're dealing with that kind of mental calculation under under the duress of speed, right? And and, and let's just say this: Paul's Paul's um, strategy did not go very well.
1: <laughs> I think it's it's worth it's worth pursuing. I think we learned a lot from it. I think he could refine it and i think it has a certain amount of surprise factor also you know uh where people have had to adjust to it and respond and develop their own uh strategic responses to that it didn't work but it was um it was certainly it was was certainly interesting oh yeah totally um so i'm uh, i'm not i think like we had an example here of like a game that's almost purely tactical i think it's pretty hard to think of a game that doesn't have tactics like i don't know what something would that would be purely strategic without tactics oh. would be i do think though that we can identify there are times in games where they cease to have meaningful <laughs> tactical decisions though and <laughs> we as gamers rebel pretty hard when that happens
0: here is here is the game with no tactics candyland
1: or, well there's no strategy either
0: well, there is. You're 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 choosing whether or not you're going first, second, or third, and based on are that, you choosing that? Well, I mean, you're the, maybe you are. It, it you know. requires no decision making whatsoever. Correct. The, once and, once and the, the game starts, the shuffle of the cheating, deck; these are decisions. Yeah, the, the, the different shu- types of decisions. Yes, I guess that's true. Yes, but if you
1: re- okay, let me, here's my example of a game where it seemed like tactics went away at a certain point was when we were looking at the end of a, of the game Imperial right there this was the criticism is at the end of the game the moves became scripted where we were just doing you know what is it invest in something else you know over and over again on the rondel but that the game could devolve to you're not doing anything that isn't already scripted at the end of a game and like we as gamers reject that when there are no no real decisions to be made
0: Uh, you know not to be paul but i think that there is a definite possibility that 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 the way we we have played the end of that game repeatedly. Is wrong. Is, is wrong. <laughs> I think that, that the reality should be that in a five or six player game, which is generally what we play that at, there should be two or three people that realize that I cannot win if the normal thing happens here, and therefore. The correct answer is to attack the countries that are in the lead, which is going to throw, which is going to totally throw a wrench in the timing and change and and change everything. I think optimal play is something closer to that, and that we've never, we've never played it with people that have played it enough to recognize that and and to do that. But yeah, no, I I would just say, like in
1: my example, though, if that were actually the case, that that were optimal, we would reject that. As, as gamers. So, so like maybe my final point on strategy, and I think all of this is really just a way of saying like of helping me identify what things I enjoy in games and what kind of games I want to play. Yeah. Um, strategy I think is often the thing that we are thinking about on other players turns. Um, like I don't like games where other players turns are dead to me, Yeah, you know, like our dead time. Yep. You know, if you if you're sitting there and you are not if and you're not meaningfully engaging on what you can do and you're literally having to wait until it's your turn in order to really like be, be making a meaningful decision, that's probably a problem with the strategy.
0: Right. Because the reality is, is that tactics is the thing which you can't really plan too far ahead because the board state is shifting constantly. And by the time it gets to you, the tactical consideration you made uh, may be in vain. Uh, the classic example of that is I'm staring at the board. I, there's that one space that uh, like in, in Agricola, it would be nobody take the grain. Nobody take the grain. Nobody take mm-hmm. the grain. Nobody take right. the grain. Ah, you took the grain. Right. Uh, and, and now all of a sudden, my tactical decision space is completely different.
1: Yes. And I would say um, that was kind of an an idea I was thinking about was like, while you're playing this game, you take your turn. And then as it goes around the table, you're probably initially thinking strategically as your turn is over. And then as it moves around the table and gets closer to you, your thoughts turn more tactical, right? Because I think your example there of grain is absolutely right, where you're kind of looking and you say... You know, I've got two really good moves still left on the board. I hope those two things are still available. But if I have to, like, if those are taken, then probably this would be my third. It depends on what this other person does. You know, like, as it moves towards your turn, it probably becomes more tactical as you get closer to your turn. Mm -hmm. I think this was also, we were having this discussion a little bit when we were um, playtesting Oath last month and mm-hmm. i know that game has changed dramatically but we were we were specifically talking about when you draw your cards in the course of playing the game like and and like i felt like something was off in that game where we were often drawing cards on our turn having to evaluate them and make a decision about playing them while everyone else waited and we were kind of talking about from a design principle in board games generally we want people drawing cards at the end of their turn so that you can sit there and study them and develop strategy yes. on other players' turns so when it gets to be your turn you then make the tactical decision of what's best for me right now
0: Yeah, so and that like, you have that something tes- to do yeah. during the yeah, interim yes right so
1: so that's a part of what i mean by like you know strategy is often in your hand hand of cards and i tend to like like games uh like that
0: yeah i mean uh, what what it brought out in me was an interesting thing. I went through the top hundred games on Board Game Geek, and I was trying to figure out which ones are which ones have strong elements of strategy, which ones have uh, hidden elements of strong strategy, and which ones are primarily tactical. Um, and, and it was interesting because I thought that tactical would be the easiest thing, right? But yeah. actually, it wasn't because there was a whole bunch of like the ones that are strongly strategic uh, Terraforming Mars you start with a corporation if you're playing with Prelude you start with uh, with other advantages you have a starting position that is is unique and pushes you par- fairly strongly in, in in a direction so it gives you a, a an angle to play, right? If you're playing EconoLine you're, or Ecoline or whatever, you're probably going to be focusing on forest and stuff like that. Twilight Imperium, oh my goodness, talk about talk about being pushed in a way, Eclipse being the same. Gaia Project, you know, you're, maybe even more than the others, Gaia Project's kind of... Uh, really narrows your perspective of what are the what are the best courses of action what are the best ways for me to get ahead in this game um twilight struggle i think is also the same it's a two-player game Your the way the various ways you can win the game and the various levers that you can force uh your opponent to deal with vary tremendously whether or not you're playing the ussr we playing the USA.
1: What's the I don't in 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 Twilight Struggle? Is there any kind of variable setup?
0: Um, it's really I just how the is. cards are shuffled, isn't it? The, no, there there is variable setup. Uh, you one player places seven units. Oh, you're making Eastern decisions Europe.
1: about your initial.
0: Yes, and you're doing okay. that based on the cards that you have, but more to the point. oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So. Basically, one of the considerations is one of the ways you can win the game is by having control of Europe. That means you control all of the um, battleground countries in Europe, of which there are not that many. It's a very hard thing to do, but so you you see your hands of cards. Yes, you okay. see your hand of cards and then you and then the Soviet Union places six points of influence in Eastern Europe. And then the United States plays seven points of your Euro- uh, points of influence in Western mm-hmm. Europe. Yeah. If I have uh, the the Marshall Plan, which and, and I play that as the very first card as my headline event, seven more points of influence, but only a single point per country is going to go down on the board. I am placing my initial influence in a very different fashion, and what I'm doing is is I am trying to lock down Europe and tell the Soviet player, you are never getting dominance in Europe. You are going to have to fight me in Asia. You're going to have to fight me in in, central, in the Mideast. You're going to have to fight me in other places, but I'm going to create a board in which it is very, very difficult. You're way behind the curve in that environment. And if I can do that successfully as the as the Americans, there is a potential that... I can ignore other parts of the board and lean on my advantage in uh, in Europe and potentially threaten to get a uh, a control of Europe win in the game. So there, there, that's maybe not something that happens very often, probably quite rarely, but it is an interesting uh, strategic lever and one of several different strategic levers that you can use in, in that game.
1: Yeah, I think... The, the, the final kind of like examples I wanted to bring up here is like, you know, um, we were playing a lot of games of through the ages and obviously a ton of strategy and through the in through the ages, ev- um, even though you kind of you start with nothing other than your your turn order. But like one of the things you do when you play th- through the ages, at least on on, you know, on the app, is because different cards go into each game, you can actually see like what leaders and wonders are in the game. And so you, you want to be making a lot of uh, strategic decisions from the very beginning in antiquity, in the age of antiquity, maybe even based upon what leaders are there in age three. Um, and, and how, so do, I think how that's, do you know what
0: leaders are in age three? Hmm? How do you know what 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 leaders are going to be available in each That's team? actually
1: public information. That is public the, information. Okay. I I know I don't know like when we've played it in person, which I never ever want to do, whether that's <laughs> supposed to be public, but in, in when you play online, you can actually see what the leaders are and what the wonders gotcha. are that are that are in the game. That's uh, that is variable.
0: That is something um, that makes the game much more strategic. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you can yet, be like, well, oh, box in this game, and so is you know Bill Gates. So that's going to have certain implications. Like I may want to do a theater strategy because there's a lot of leaders that support theaters. You know, something like that. Right. Um, you know, what, certain you know certain wonders can have a huge impact on other players, especially if you let Paul get you know these great military leaders and certain things going to make you know cre- you know creating war
0: easy. Gagastron. You need to.
1: You need to be aware of that so that you don't leave yourself vulnerable to what, you know, to Paul doing what Paul's going to do.
0: Right. And yet that is something where there is not a tremendous variability in the starting condition, but but quickly you're making strategic choices that have long-term implications, right?
1: Well, the starting condition is these are the things that are in the game that Correct. we're going to play through. So know that and plan accordingly.
0: I guess what but I mean it's, is-
1: it's not stuff that I have in my hand to begin the
0: game. Correct. What I'm saying is there's no difference between players in, in, in the start. You just have – but you're making strategic long-term decisions based on the difference between this game state and the last time you played it or another game state. I would just yeah. want to say that by that, Concordia, Feast for Odin, Food Chain Magnate, Puerto Rico, they're like that in the same way in that you start off the same as everybody else but very early on in Concordia – the first city that you you build in, right, is gonna have a pretty big impact in terms of the the which of the many different card strategies, which are the many different points you're gonna be able to lean on or not lean on. In a feast for Odin, are you exploring? Are you hunting? Are the doing that even a single or a couple times? Really pushes you toward a strategy that's that way. Food chain we've already talked about, uh, and in Puerto Rico, are you are you taking corn? Are you taking coffee? That is going to impact whether or not you're going to be doing a city building or, or a shipping strategy, and that's a fairly strategic well, concern. Maybe,
1: maybe, let me make this distinction:
0: when we think about Concordia,
1: Concordia has variable setup in that. Like say you even played yeah. the same map every time. Uh, a city could be a, you know, a uh, silk city or a wine city or an iron city sure. based based upon the setup. And then you're going to have your initial cards that come out so that no game of Concordia is exactly the same. Sure. I mean, wasn't kind of part of the criticism of uh, Terra Mystica was like that map was pretty samesy.
0: It was more than it was just samesy. It was it was definitely samesy, but it was also not playing fair. People looked at the map and realized, Oh, you know what? These these colors have a much better situation than these colors which was a which was a problem in the map design. The map design should have been uh, should have been more balanced. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, looking at the board when I first played the game, I had no idea that there was going to be an advantage one way or, or or another from that. So it's a really hard thing to to spot. It's probably a really hard thing to design a a, a truly balanced board. But yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a problem. So I think like
1: and then so like going back to Game of Thrones which I've been playing a lot of, you know, if if this is the kind of player that I am where I like find a lot of pleasure in the strategic elements, then I don't think it's at all surprising that I've gravitated towards a game that um, requires you to actually like build a deck with custom cards. So that like the, the deck itself represents a strategy that you've, you've put together before you ever even play. Right. So this is not a deck builder. You build a deck and then compete Magic: The Gathering style. So you can, you can have a tremendous amount of strategic thought going into just how you you put that together before you even play the game
0: yes which actually i think is one of the things that that i was most interested in with oath even though i have have a lot of issues with the game and i'm very happy that they're doing a lot of redesign and, and, and changing a lot of things the concept that the victor of game number one is changing the is changing the card balance for the next time you play that game I think in terms of looking at different ways to approach legacy games or different ways to approach games that have a chronicle aspect to them, I think that's a really interesting one. Because it's not just changing the story, but it's actually adding a strategy implication into the game that's very interesting. Let's go to our review. Let's do it, because we're running out of time here. Oceans is the game we're reviewing. It is a 2020 release. The designers were Nick Bentley, Dominic Krapichet, Ben Goldman, and Brian O'Neill. The artists are Guillaume Ducot and Catherine Hamilton. And it is published by North Star Games. Trey, you have played this several more times than I have. Will you lay out, <laughs> will you lay out for people what Oceans is? Okay, so Oceans is kind of the new and
1: improved game of evolution, which I never actually played. But uh, the idea in this game is that we are forming different species of fish and evolving them over time. On your turn, you are going to assign, you know, play a card. Every round you play a card. You assign a trait to a certain species. Um, Over the time, you're going to end up forming multiple species. These species can have multiple traits so that you know, you're know you creating what starts as a very simple species of fish. This is a predator. This is a filter feeder. This is a scavenger. Uh, you can add additional traits to them like tentacles or transparent um, that end up changing how these fish evolve. And part of the really interesting things about this game is that you end up creating an ecosystem an ecosystem that exists both for your own species and how they interact with each other, but how they interact with other players, species of, of fish. So as we, as we play the game on my turn, I'm going to draw a card. I'm going to add a trait to a fish. That's, I'm going to be able to have one species feed. Um, we're basically like adding fish from a common pool to our species. And so they grow, um, Every round, they're going to do something which is called aging. What that really is is you're taking fish off your player board and you're putting it into your score pile that is separate from the you know kind of like environment where, every, where things can still be stolen and preyed upon by other other players. And then the final thing you do is you draw cards. You have a hand of cards in this game, and you're always drawing up to six so that on your next turn, you're going to play
0: one card, and then your turn passes. And the game is over when the ocean is empty of fish. That's right. So what's going to start
1: as this very simple game is going to become increasingly complex on every turn. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about this game, and I think it's a really smart design decision, is that there's essentially a first half of the game and a second half of the game. In the first half of the game, we are only playing cards from the what's called the surface deck. And there the are surface,
0: only 12 different types, right?
1: There are only 12 different types of cards within the surface deck. This is common knowledge. Everybody knows what they are. And so the species that we're forming at the beginning of the game are um, – it's pretty it's, – it's somewhat finite in terms of the combinations that we can put together. That said, with 12 different cards and how you combine them – Different players have a lot of different ideas of kind of like engines that you build between your different species of fish uh, in order to kind of generate uh, the most points.
0: So far, we've identified probably three main major strategies using those 12 cards so far, right?
1: So far. There are more. um, The uh, designer, Dominic Krabischitz, has been on BGG outlining, I think he's identified at least seven um just because i think there was a feeling that there may be you know only two or three kind of valid ones he's tried to identify a, at least seven part of the fun in the game is trying to figure these out for yourself but these are sure. these are kind of like ba- basic strategies that with a few plays you kind of see the wisdom of how you can kind of combine these basic cards
0: but yeah i mean let's let's just say that dominic might be right but he might be wrong i mean in tapestry we had people saying there are only some of these, uh, civilizations that you can, that are playable. And some of them seem way overpowered and some, and you know, the designers came on and, and said, no, 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 they're, they're all playable. You just have to play it more. Well, listen, I,
1: here's why I don't think your, your comparison is, is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you are lot. You, when you draw your hand, you draw a hand of six cards at the beginning of the game, this is your, st- your starting hand. Um, you know that is going to determine somewhat the direction you go on your on your first few turns. But in this game, it's possible to, for example, dump your entire hand and draw six new cards. So you're not locked into anything um, the way when you play Tapestry. I, you know, you're playing a certain. What, what do you call it in Tapestry? You've got a. It's not a nation or, or something, whatever, but you're yeah. you're you're playing a certain thing that's going to have an asymmetrical power yeah. that you're locked into there's nothing like that in oceans you just have your hand of cards oh, and
0: I, i'll use a different example the, the the um splatter said that they felt very strongly in the original food chain magnet that uh, that playing uh, starting with a uh, marketer was going to be a completely viable strategy and people right. told them that we don't really think that is we we think that there are really only two good starts part of the reason that the expansion came out was we they wanted they, they wanted the the valid decision space or the successful decision space to be wider than that so it, so maybe maybe there are maybe there are seven different ways to to do this maybe well
1: here's the thing here the answer is we don't we don't know and i think like the way you're thinking about it is actually kind of wrong for the kind of game this is let's get to that let's get to that in a moment because it's really going to come down to what kind of game is this is this supposed to be a highly serious competitive game or is this more a beer and pretzels you know crazy you know where this is a game where we have species of fish i'm eating your fish you're eating my fish (laughs) we're preying off each other uh it it has some some trashy trashy elements to it absolutely i think that's actually part of what makes it a lot of fun Mm. Let me get to, though, that's the first half of the game. Okay. The second half of the game is once you've kind of chewed through, you've pulled like half the fish out of the ocean. It's not even half, but there's a point where the game shifts because you trigger something called the Cambrian Explosion. Once the Cambrian Explosion has been triggered at the midpoint, you start to be able to play these deep cards. So we had a deck of surface cards that only had 12 different types of cards. The deep cards, I think, are like 75 unique cards that are all completely different so this is where the species really start to get customized and crazy and some of these cards are incredibly powerful but they're expensive to play and so any of the kind of um you know hey here's my base strategy that i'm doing from the first part of the game they can you know potentially can just be completely thrown out of whack by the deep cards that people are starting to play in the second half of the game it's also the case that once this Cambrian explosion happens your fish species start aging twice as fast which means it's harder for them to survive uh, in the, in the current environment you start to be you you play two cards a turn instead of one so the game has this natural progression of simplicity and and then ramps up into this highly involved ecosystem between the different players that ramps up into highly specialized creatures, uh, feasting off of each other, competing, creating self-sustained ecosystems versus preying off of other people's boards that ends up becoming very interesting, I think. It's also the case that every single game you play here has a couple of scenario cards that you flip over, which will be unique conditions that will be triggered later on the game that will apply certain rules to make the game unique that you have to consider when building the game. Like we know this is gonna be an incredibly inhospitable um, environment in the second half of the game where every single species is gonna age twice as fast. And so you know, we need to design our fish to be especially robust. Yes. So I have really enjoyed this game because I find it to be highly uh, interactive, and I've enjoyed playing it even when I don't win. Mm -hmm. I I think there have been plenty of times where I've played this game, and in the same way that uh, I can kind of, when playing a good game of Agricola, and I can take a certain amount of pleasure in just look at the crazy farm I created – During this game regardless of what my score was i think there's plenty of times where i look down at the end near the end of the game in evolution and i've got you know all these completely random different types of fish that do crazy overpowered things and i'm kind of enjoying those combinations whether or not i scored a lot of points or
0: not right um but when you say interaction what do you mean uh, to 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 wit, I mean, how much the game seems to be when you first look at it. It seems to be a thing where I have a predator, and a predator can go and steal fish from your species, or I have a feeder, you know, that's gonna just you know, soak up the f- fish from the from the common pool. I have a shark tender who, when somebody has a a predator that 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 activates, I get a little something as well. And it seems like a lot of these things seem like, okay, I'm going to be getting something from the person on my left to the person on my right, or maybe even the person across from me. But in point of fact, the way the game plays, the emergent play from the game, mostly creates, to some larger or smaller extent, self-contained ecosystems where I am getting the the almost all of the benefits from you, you, each player can only have one person one creature that attacks and feeds or what's the other yeah, word?
1: that's a rule only a single species feeds every turn correct but and, all of them are going to age
0: and a lot of the other cards in those initial 12 are ways to leech off of those uh, those those yep. feeders that are attacking or feeding um but in reality, what you're doing is is you're quickly building up a thing where you're flanking your your uh, shark with two different shark uh, parasites that are getting the stuff from the shark. so right. you're you're building a self-sustaining engine. Correct. And by mm-hmm. doing that, what seems to end up happening, at least in my limited experience of the game, is that. It's uh, there isn't a lot of of interaction. In, in, even even if I'm being attacked by somebody else's shark, except for the last round of the game, that that doesn't seem to to do a lot because most of the time I'm when it's my turn I'm generating the fish I need to keep my to keep my species alive for the most part and right and to, and so to move on.
1: Th- this is where the deep deck comes in because the deep deck. Um, has all of these different kind of unique, crazily overpowered, weird cards, um, You, there are solutions for breaking other people's engines in those cards. I yeah. would say that's what the designers would say. It's like, as these deep cards come out, you're both finding ways to superpower your own engine and to pivot to a new engine because of certain cards in your hand. And you also have ways to kind of mess up other people's plans with these cards. Now, Tom's criticism here is one that many people on BGG have floated. And this is an active debate in terms of, you know, like, are there, is the strategic space here not actually that, um, not that interesting? Uh, I feel like it is interesting, but I also don't regard this as a game that I'm going to, that I'm, I'm not, like, deeply concerned that this be an incredibly balanced competitive game. I think this is I do think this is like a nice, you know, light to medium game that is a beer and pretzels game in which I'm going to have a bunch of crazy fish species and I'm going to, you know, end up making it a kraken and attacking your guy Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm not, I think your expectations for this are kind of not matching what the game itself is. I also feel like you know, like we've all been in the situation where we've played a game once, and we have said, "Oh well, kelp strategy.
0: Kelp <laughs> strategy is the way to play
1: uh, underwater cities." Oh, no. cowboy strategy. We got to do cowboy strategy when you're 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 playing, um, you know, or uh, Great Western Trail. Now, a lot of times that ends up being true, but we also know that you know, like your strategic understanding of a game after one or two plays may not be. of course fully may not be fully uh realized
0: i'm gonna gonna go i I have
1: found that journey in this game to be really interesting and delightful and i'm often you know like finding each game um to be completely unique now um the games i've played with paul have not worked out that well and he's kind of said i should love this game and he doesn't yes uh i think part of the nature of all these different random deep cards coming out is that the game can kind of miss sometimes where interesting combinations don't happen. Yeah. But I've had plenty of games where they do and things can be very swingy and very dramatic. There could be, like you said, interaction in that there can be a ton of table talk in this game where you're like, why are you attacking me? You need to be attacking Tom. Tom's winning. Tom's got the filter feeders flanked by two whale cleaners. Like we have to break up that engine. You know, like there, there is like if you enjoy that kind of table talk and the, the social massaging that goes into games, then this will be an excellent game for you. If you find that type of finagling and whining and manipulation onerous – this is not the game for you.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, listen. I have a few caveats that I have to that I have to put out there. Uh, caveat number one is that I have never played this game in front of human beings. Mm-hmm. I have only played this on tabletop simulator. And as I said earlier in this episode, it makes games that are a ten for me feel like an eight. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that you should he- hear my my lack of tremendous enthusiasm for this game, I think you need to put a huge asterisk next to it because I, because I don't think that I'm getting the best that this game can give me. I don't think it is. And uh, my my love and enjoyment of games is right now at a little bit of a lull because i'm just not mm-hmm. whatever it is about the 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 face to face board gaming experience that i'm not getting from that is kind of poisoning the well a little bit and i have yeah. to say that the second thing is you're absolutely right that i'm seeing things in the you know i've only played this 3 times so but i'm seeing things in those 3 times that feel to me like Oh, I wish that this wasn't like this. And once the deep cards come in, then you're absolutely right. Then all bets are off and and all sorts of different things can happen. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if 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 my perception of these things is is a is an accurate one or an inaccurate one. I don't think we have enough plays about it. Um but I do for me personally, I'm kind of to some extent now that I understand the game, I'm waiting for the deep part to kick in, and until the deep part kicks <laughs> in, yeah, I'm not sure this game
1: may be a little light for you it may it may not be like I think you want more complexity, I think you want more deepness, and that may not. That may not be there
0: i, I um, yeah I, I feel like I feel like there are you know there are several different things you can set up generally until the deep cards come in you're trying to set up at least three species in in front of you that are working symbiotically and are and are working together maybe maybe a fourth if you if you can manage it, and you're trying to set yourself up for for and you're trying to get a look at some deep cards and get ones that are going to surprise people yeah. in terms of how they're going to to change the thing but that's a lot of it's a surprisingly long amount of time that you're doing that right and, and so it feels like it feels like a lot of a, a lot of time spent on you, this you can setup. play this game in an hour don't you think uh, we haven't but, but once again, that, that's, that's really kind of tabletop know. simulator. I don't know. That's what I don't know. I don't know. I think that's tabletop
1: because moving all these little fish is a little bit uh, tricky. Here's, well, here's I how did, I would – here's my recommendation it. to people at home. Sure. I think this is how you should think about this game. Um, I think this game kind of occupies a similar space as Wingspan in terms of like um, games that are – like a game that you would hand to some people that say, I've played Catan. I'm ready – for something uh, next, like I think this this would be a fine game to hand to somebody you know who's who's played who's who's fairly new to the hobby and ready to play a, I think that's something great. else. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I and, totally get that. I I, this, I think that the the art is gorgeous on it. I think that the card art and, and, and everything—it yeah. is a good-looking game. It it has a great table presence. The little fish tokens that you're getting and the various colors of that is phenomenal. It can, you know, it, it can eventually play to six players, which is a huge draw. Um, I I, I think that, that I wouldn't though. Uh, maybe not. It'd Get too slow. It get too maybe, slow. Uh, well, that, that's that's part of my part of my criticism of it. Um, and it, it, in the medium in the light to medium game space. I don't mind this game. I really don't. I don't hate this game. I don't. I just see don't, to me it feels like it's it. about like given with the pandemic and everything,
1: yeah. this is about the level of heaviness of, of game that I'm mentally <laughs> prepared to play with. Oh, that's right
0: interesting. Now. That's interesting. I think I get that. Yeah. No, I'm not I, sure
1: I'm down for roads and boats during the pandemic, you know, um, See, I'm but craving... that's, just, that's me. I'm just saying for, for myself, yeah. oceans is about as heavy as I want to get.
0: And for right me, now. I think because I know that the experience that I'm having in, this, in, in these games is not what I want them to be. I want to play the heavier stuff that I, that I have a really hard time getting to the table because then at least then I'm getting my thing. So we have kind of almost opposite agendas a, a little bit in this. Yep. Yeah, I don't want people to think that I am poo-pooing this game. I don't want people to think that I'm saying Oceans is, is a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game at all. One of my favorite, like early, old, old games was a game called Ersoup. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I think primordial soup was the English language when they, when they finally I have the, the, the German version, but the primordial soup was the game. And in that game, you each start with a couple single-celled amoebas <laughs> floating in a primordial soup, and you are adding, you're adding adaptations to them. And as you add these adaptations to them, they're becoming all of a sudden. My mine can eat yours, or mine can run away from yours, or right. And it it very much felt like oceans, and I loved that game. The thing that I liked about that game the most, though, was that there would be things that would happen in the game that would change the game state kind of dramatically more so than the there in this game there are only two little cards that when all of the fish are gone from this part of the ocean then this card takes effect and the second time that second thing takes effect in primordial soup there was much more of the environment fighting back Mm-hmm. A little bit, which i don 't know for me was great i don 't think primordial soup is a, is a great game is a great game i don 't think it is, but there was something you about said it either i didn 't say either, but i stopped myself <laughs> I stopped myself before I said either um, but I, there's something that I really love about that, and the same thing that I love about that I love about this. I love about the idea that i am i am creating these species and i 'm giving them adaptations that are going to give them something that your species does not have, and because of that. Everybody has to be watching what other people are are doing, even though, like I just said, I don't think that the level of interactivity is as high as as it should be. I do think you have to pay attention, and the moment the the deep phase enters, you have to pay pay very close attention to every single deep card that a person plays, because that's when you find out what has that this per, this person's played a game mm-hmm. that seems very vanilla, and now all of a sudden they are here comes their big guns. What are they doing? Right. What's, what's the what's the real way that See, they're the, gonna? Kill you
1: know, me? Un- unlike a lot of games that I feel like we've played recently, uh, and. And maybe this is, again, is part of Tabletop Simulator because it's so easy to look at people's tableaus mm. is I feel like I have a really good idea of what's going on with every player. Yep. You know, having played the game five or six times now, whereas we've played a bunch of other games where, like, I don't know what's... You know, like, when I'm playing Maracaibo, I don't I don't know what's going on with your board over there, Tom. Yep. I mean, I can, I can see that you've put a lot of investment into, you know, helping the British, but I don't know your engine. Whereas in... In Evolution, I feel like I can I can understand what a player's doing pretty easily. And part of that's just the 12 yeah. um, surface cards. And so it's very digestible understanding what's going on with everybody else. And I think when it comes to the scenario cards, and maybe this is kind of what I was getting at in terms of strategy and the, the points in which we start to form strategy, like a lot of that is in the scenario cards that you know you need to be working towards something. But I also just think this game has this a beautiful evolution of complexity as you play it mm. it starts so simply it does ramp. and then that's continues true. to ramp up in complexity as you play it in a way that i think is is you know it kind of gives you a more complex game as you're ready for it that made it for a very uh, good experience for me playing it the first few times
0: i think that's 100 percent valid i totally ag- agree with that um that is that is oceans uh, listen you play it on tabletop simulator try it out it does not take that long and it's pretty easy to grok it's pretty easy to understand and play maybe you're gonna maybe you're gonna love it maybe you're gonna love it like like trade it i hope that you i hope <laughs> that you do i hope that you do uh trey we're almost out of time do you think we can do uh one sommelier sure let's do it sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay which game should go? Which to play with Mama, Madame, Abou? you got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. With my 50th play of Agricola. a million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. All right, let's do this one. Richard Enlow wrote quite a, uh, a treatise here. Hi, I'm a newish listener, but love the podcast. Great to meet you, Richard. Also quite new to the hobby. Last Christmas, I got quite a bit of games that I thought I'd enjoy by reading descriptions watching reviews, but I want to slow down a bit to let my playing catch up. I've taken a page from your book and I'm doing a 10x10 10 10 experience to, uh, to, uh, 10 by 10 to experience the richness of the games. I have nine games so far and I need you to give me the one extra to fill the gap. Here is his nine. Architects of the West Kingdom, Scythe, Viticulture, Seventh Continent, Ganshon Clever, Sagrada, Agricola, Quacks of Quedlinburg, and Wingspan. And he wants the 10th. And here is his um, sort of wish list. He says, I'm a visual designer by trade, so I prefer beautiful games with quality, well-designed components. I like games to have an interesting theme. Hopefully looking for a theme I haven't hit yet, i.e. no more farming. <laughs> <laughs> is, that a, is that a knife to your, to your heart, Trey?
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, Give me more farming
0: games. (laughs) I I want something that plays between 45 minutes and two hours. That would be a sweet spot to me. And I'm new in town, Palm Springs. Hey, welcome to uh, California. So I mostly play with my partner, but would love to get a group together at some point. Thanks for your help. All right. So given the games that you have listed, they are all in the, in the, nothing really medium heavy, all medium to medium light. I guess scythe is technically a little heavier, but not too much. It's all, yeah. it's all pretty medium. So we're looking for medium weight, visually pleasing, interesting theme games that play in two hours or less. Here are, here's one of my suggestions, Everdell. Everdell, maddie still hasn't given back my Everdell. He's ab- about to give it back because he's finally getting his his copy in. But they play it all the time. It is a gorgeous game. And depending upon which uh, which versions you buy, it gets more progressively more gorgeous. uh Plays in in two hours or less. Plays very well with two players. Big stand up tree. Like
1: yes, multiple can- layers, and you play the cards on the different layers of the tree. And-
0: yes, plays very well with two players. You can't
1: walk past the table of Everdell and not stop and peer at what's going on there.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. I wouldn't say the theme is that interesting. I would say as far as the four different criteria, I wouldn't say Everdell's theme is like, Oh my goodness. It's amazing. Well, It's
1: all the things that annoy you. It's like, it's (laughs) fantasy themed and, and cute with swords and,
0: you yeah, a little yeah, little little woodland creatures with with yeah. The swords. Yeah, oh, I hate it, hate it, hate it.
1: <laughs> and yet you're recommending it.
0: I love the game. I love the game. It's so good. It is it is so good that despite its theme, it's it's super super winning um grand austria hotel i think might be if you wanted to put something on the challenge that's a little maybe a little crunchier than the other games that you have it's it's a nice looking game the theme is very interesting you're managing a, a hotel and it's pretty cool that way and it plays in under two hours and i'll give you just two more village which is a very interesting themed game and a pretty gorgeous yep. game to look at. You're you're basically managing a, a population, letting them letting them die off, and, and trying to put them into various positions and have them do things for this uh, for this village. And last but not least, Francis Drake is a gorgeous game, really beautiful game. I wouldn't say the theme is particularly unique, but it does do it does do um, exploration in an interesting way. I think, right? Wouldn't you say, Trey?
1: Yeah, no, it's got it's a it's a game that has two halves over th- three rounds. It's each have these distinct halves yes. that play differently that I think uh, make like it. It's one of my favorite games that I don't think gets, uh, gets enough attention. The thing about this letter that I think is interesting is, you know, he did a, a Christmas load up where he bought a bunch of games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's played all of these games yet, and he's looking for a 10th. I, th- I think my my advice is try to, try to avoid doing this because uh, I I've, I've done this where you do you know you're ordering especially from a, uh, some you know one of these online retailers or something I had a tendency to like buy four or five games at once that's often a formula for having something sit on your shelf um, oh,
0: that's a good point like try, yeah.
1: try 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 to buy one game. And then play that game, or buy one or two games, and then and then pl- and then uh, play those games. Because I like, I know I have that problem where I own a bunch of games I never play, mostly because I play with you or Matt. Sure. But like, I just started to give you all my games and add them to your your collection. Um, the well, one uh, maybe that I a think four x falls... four,
0: maybe a four by four challenge would be a better thing. Four yeah. games, four times, and then buy another four games and and, and repeat the process. Maybe,
1: maybe. The, the game that uh, that uh, that I just thought of that seemed consistent with uh, his uh, taste here would for me was Coimbra, which was mm. you know one of my favorite. 2018 um, was one of my favorite yeah. games, and, and it plays under two hours. I really liked the artwork uh, of it, and it was you know a light to medium game that uh, I always have
0: fun playing. So I, I gotta say, would Oceans fit the bill here? I mean, think about it. Yeah, Vi- visually stunning. Interest, Wait, are you
1: recommending Ocean? Interesting oh, theme plays in oceans. two
0: hours or less. Medium weight. I just listen. I I, I didn't have the, the the greatest time with it, but I respect I respect you, and I respect how much some of some of our gaming group has really really enjoyed the game. I'm perfectly willing to recommend a game based on uh, other game brains that I respect. What do you think?
1: Yeah, Maybe? definitely. I mean, listen when we when. When we uh, have game nights at your house and sometimes we expand it out to be some people that you've known from church or from back home or whatever, like, you, you know, you could always break out Oceans and play that, right? That's a fair, oh, yeah. that's not a tough teach.
0: It's, 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 a, it's a very safe game for a wide range, a range of people with a, a wide range of uh, gaming experience. That's for sure. How do you think it plays to Oceans? I don't know. Hmm.
1: I don't know. I, I think I would want it to be three or four. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this would meet the Rado criteria.
0: Right, right. I think Rado really loved it, so maybe it does oh, play great. Maybe it I'm d- wrong. does play okay. great too. So, um, I think we can do one more. Let's do one more. All right, oh, Sean. Right. Sean Devlin wrote, "Early October, my wife and I host a small one-day board gaming convention." Every year, we add something new to the con. This year, we plan on adding a play-to-win contest. Ideally, the game would be the new hotness, something fairly recent or released this year. The con attracts mostly casual gamers. Concordia would be on the upper end of a complexity for the majority of people who come out to play. I realize that the brains, trademark, <laughs> generally lean toward mid-weight games and above. But I was wondering if there was anything on your radar that would be a good candidate for the contest. Thanks. Thank you, Sean. Trey, what do you, what do you got? What are you thinking? So this is a, a game that they want to give away? They want, to, they want it to be a game that they present at the convention, the one-day convention, that a lot of people play that game. And mm-hmm. whoever wins the game tournament of that game gets to walk home with that game.
1: I don't know because I was I was thinking the crew but I don't the crew's cooperative so how do you you couldn't it be or well, is it could, a team
0: you could still do it you could still do it what you would do is the play to win would be everybody that's played the game can put their you know the, you, it becomes a uh a lottery based on who based, based on everyone who played it that's one thing you could do I think the crews are I great, think this just shows that I have
1: the crew on my brain and I'm eager to play it oh once, yeah. Once the play glyphs
0: Oh yeah, well the fact that the fact that I have you know five people in the family that are ready to play it—that's uh, I'm I'm really happy that I get, actually get to play something uh, live. Uh, I'll say Taverns of Tiefenthal is the first thing that came to mind. It is a mm. gorgeous game. It is a lightweight game. Um, everybody can play it, and it's it's a real it's a, it's a real gem in that sense. Um, the magnificent. Is a game that uh, Trey and I like quite a bit. It's not not one of our f- favorite games, but for casual gamers, um, I think it's a game that might just uh, uh, be a hit among you. I don't like Race Arcana, but that might <laughs> but it might fit the bill for you. But Matt and, and I do, yeah. Yeah, you guys love it. You guys love it, and so I'm not gonna. I'm not just gonna. I'm gonna not.
1: It it falls into yeah. That's a much lighter game than the Magnificent. Um, it, it falls into the same kind of like uh, difficulty level and accessibility level as as oceans so it's yeah. it's not a tough teach you're not investing a lot of time that's and it's, uh, and it's, so it's probably is, is is probably more appropriate to what they're talking about here
0: it could be yeah and i think i think taverns is 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 dead on right in the center of what they're what they're looking at so i think they should consider that that's all we got we have a youtube channel folks youtube.com forward slash c forward slash game brain pod a facebook group a discord channel both of which are not getting less popular during our quarantines Um, please get in those board game sommelier questions i think we might have uh, none or only a couple left to do um, Trey, thank you so much. It's, uh, I, I love whenever I'm talking with you, I know we're going to get a little, a, a little deep and really dive into something. I, I loved what, what you brought to talk about. and I, I really had a great time.
1: Uh, it was always, always great to be on the show. Uh, hope people stay safe, make connections with your friends, reach out. This is the time to do it.
0: Yeah, please, yeah, please keep in contact with people. The the more isolated you are, the more you have to go out of your way to Skype with somebody, to Zoom with somebody. Just uh, yeah, keep keep those keep those contacts going. It's it's really important, and you never know the person you're reaching out to might need it even more than you do. Um, that's about it. You've been listening to GameBrain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Thanks, Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music you might know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.